Good afternoon. It's good to see everybody. Beautiful faces on this Sunday afternoon. All right. Uh, well, let's open up our Bibles, if you have your Bible. I'm just curious, actually. Who actually brings a physical Bible to church still? I've got like, I've got like eight, nine, ten people. Wow. That's, that's good. That's good. All right. Well, let's open up our few Bibles and our phones. Uh, we're going to look at the book of Matthew today. Uh, no, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I was just curious. Okay. Uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 7. Look at verse 3 through 5, and then we're going to look at one more passage. Matthew 7, verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Uh, Let's turn to Matthew 18. Verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. This is the word of the Lord. All right, let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you for, yeah, thank you for your presence here, God. Uh, Thank you for, yeah, all the good works that you're doing, and uh, Father, I just pray uh, for the message today that, yeah, that you would speak, that you would speak through me, God, and that you would speak to us and open our eyes, open our ears, that we may hear the word that you have for us, God, and give us, yeah, the fertile soil, the good soil in our hearts, God, so that we might grow in the knowledge of you and in your ways as a church together. So pray your blessing, pray your anointing. Upon this message, pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we got the, got the retreat coming up in a few days. Who's excited for the retreat? Very excited. Our first retreat since the launch. I know there was a retreat last year, uh, but very excited for the retreat. And... Yeah, I just want to encourage you guys all to come with a lot of expectation. Uh, yeah, I feel like yeah, a lot of leaders and a lot of our members have been really praying into this retreat. We're expecting big things. We're expecting a lot. Uh, and so I'm really excited for it. But uh, here's the thing, right? I, I, I fully believe, I have a lot of faith that God is going to just pour out His Spirit. And it's going to be a powerful time at the retreat. But... There, there's, there are some things that, you know, you need to, what, what am I trying to say? You, that's not enough is what I'm saying, right? Like you see examples of churches where the Holy Spirit's poured out and yet, you know, they're not, it's not able to last, you know, over, over time, over a long time. You see a church like the Corinthian church in the Bible where there's a lot of crazy spiritual manifestations and gifts going on, but man, they're so immature. I mean, there's so many problems in that church. You know what I mean? You got a dude sleeping with his dad's wife. You know what I mean? It's like stuff like that. It's all, all these divisions. And so, uh, you know, I wanted to address something today. Uh, even as we look forward to the retreat, I'm going to, uh, hopefully I'll get to preach uh, after the retreat as well. Or Pastor Jamie will, I'm sorry. Yeah, but um, uh, I wanted to address a topic today that is relevant to every church and relevant probably to everybody in this room. It's a problem that we all struggle with, and this is the issue of conflict, right? Today, I want to talk about how, what does it look like for a Christian to make peace? Because God really cares about peace. This, this really matters to God. 
Okay? And, you know, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul says to this church where there's all these divisions, he says, you are God's temple. And if anyone destroys that temple, God will destroy him. It's like, oh, snap, this, y'all are scary, right? So if anyone destroys, that's how much God cares for his temple. That's how much God cares for the peace and the unity of his church. And Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians 4. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. He's crying out. He's, he's in prison. And he's urging. He's urging the church. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Right? So peace. Peacemaking is very important to God, and it's a skill and it's a wisdom that uh, we all need to learn. Because we're not, we're not born with the ability to make peace. You know, conflict happens all the time. Conflict is ine- inevitable. That's why we need to learn these skills and learn these abilities. And I wanted to uh, kind of teach you guys today what the Bible has to say about these things. But first, a little poll. Okay? So how many of you guys have ever been in a conflict in your life? No, no perfect people here? No? Oh, oh maybe, maybe one or two? Oh, yeah? Okay, well, let me, let me ask you this. How many of you guys have had a falling out of some sort in the past year, year and a half? Some of y'all are thinking. Some, some of y'all are scared to put your hand up. It's all good because the person's right next to you. No, I'm just kidding, right? But <laughs> No, no, no. But see, you know, it, it happens to all of us. And, uh, you know, I think the church needs to learn how to make peace. Because we see so many churches filled with Christians, and yet there's so much conflict, so much division, church splits happening. You know what I mean? How come Christians can't get along? We're supposed to display the love of Christ to one another. And yet, what's going on? We're not, there's something wrong in our relationships with each other. You know, we're, we've been re- reconciled, redeemed by God, forgiven by God, but we can't forgive each other. We can't overlook and, and, love, and love one another. There's something, there's something missing there. That's not how the church is called to live. See, Jesus said to his disciples, by this the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He doesn't say, by this the world will know you're my disciples. By your amazing spiritual gifts. By the Holy Spirit and people being slain all across the floor. By people speaking in tongues or prophesying or, or memorizing thousands of verses. or all, He says, no, by this, the world's going to know that you belong to me because you love one another. This is very important to God. This is very central on God's heart. And, you know, we need to, we need to learn how to make peace. Okay, because conflicts are going to happen. See, what, you know, the definition of a conflict, oh, snap, I lost the, I lost the, oh, no, here it is. The definition of a conflict is, uh, and this is the definition, I, I take a lot of my points from the book, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Great book. Uh, I read it and I'm studying it again. But, uh, yeah, he says, conflict is a difference in opinion or purpose that frustrates someone's goals or desires. So there's a difference. It could be opinion, it could be purpose. But it frustrates one or more person's goals and desires. You, you want something, but you can't get it. And so, conflict. This is, how, this is what James talks about in chapter 4. James chapter 4, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions, your desires, are at war within you? You covet, but you cannot get, you cannot have. So you murder, you quarrel. All this conflict rising up because your goals and your desires are getting frustrated. You want something so bad. You know, what starts off as a desire becomes a demand. Then they're going to pay. Oh, I'm getting, I'm getting a little you know, stirred up, right? <laughs> this, is for, this is for dramatic effect, okay? All right, but so that's, that's what a conflict is, right? And the two versions are always different. Pretty interesting. Every single time, right? So that's why the Bible says, don't listen to just one side and make your judgment. No, listen to both sides, right? 
Like, you know, search out diligently the matter. But, you know, both sides are different. And number two, both sides think it's the other person's fault. Most of the time, that's what happens. And, you know, this is funny. It's like, you know, even grown Christian men and women, and yet we turn into little kids, like on the playground. It's his fault. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's not my fault. Okay, maybe I did like 5%, but the rest is. Anyways, um, yeah, it was on that show, and Will Smith got into a car accident, and then the, the other dude was like, uh, excuse me, what's the name? Your fault. I said it's your fault, right? And, uh, you know, there's something not natural about resolving conflicts, even as a Christian. And so I want to I teach on this today. This not only affects churches, but it affects all our individual lives. And if you learn how to resolve conflict, then that's going to benefit you your entire life. See, the ways conflict just affects your life negatively, first, obviously, it, it destroys relationships. It puts strain, alienation. But also, it could cause financial loss, emotional time, effort, you know, just peace of mind. You stay up thinking about it all the time. It's weighing on you. Okay? And also, it dishonors God. Especially when Christians are in conflict, it brings dishonor to God and to His church. And so, that should matter to us. You know, that should should be important. Okay, so... First, okay, so before we talk about peacemaking, I want to talk about two alternatives to peacemaking. First, peace faking, (laughs) and on the other side, peace breaking. And Christians are so expert at peace faking and peace breaking. All right, let me tell you what that is, right? Peace faking is avoiding. Okay, there's a conflict going on, but you'd rather not work to resolve it but you just want to avoid it, okay? So on, on one side of avoiding is you just deny it. You just pretend like it's not really there, like nothing really happened, there's no conflict going on. You just deny it. You kind of just, you know, put, shove it down, and, you know, that's your way of dealing with it, okay? And, you know, a lot of, I would say, I would say more often than not, Christians avoid rather than do peace faking rather than peace breaking because they think, oh, that's the Christian thing to do. Right? I don't want to stir things up. I don't want to cause, you know, commotion and a scene, and I don't want to disrupt and all this stuff. And so, yeah, I'll just, I'll just kind of, kind of just deny it. Maybe it's not really there. Maybe it's not really happening. You know, another way to deny it is, yeah, you, you actually recognize it's going on, but you decide, I, I don't want to do anything. Yeah, I'm not going to do anything. It's too much trouble. Nothing good's going to come out of it. Okay, so that's that's one way we we deny it and. Tell you, let me tell you something. A lot of Christians are good at this because we'd rather keep appearances, peace faking. We'd rather it look like there's peace than actually learn to make peace and put in the effort to take the steps to make peace. And so I feel like the church is pretty good at peace faking. So you know, sometimes we deny it, right? But uh, other times, we, it's, this is called flight. We run away from it. Okay, so this is a little more extreme than deny. This is like you, you realize the conflict's there, and you just want to leave. You just want to get away. Okay, whether it's you're having a conflict at work, oh, I, wanna get, I need to get a new job. My coworker, my, my boss, man, if you knew my boss, Pastor Paul, you would understand. So we leave our job. You know, we, we lose friendships. We leave friendships because there's a conflict, and we don't want to make peace. And so we run away. We avoid that. Sometimes we leave a neighborhood or a city because we have, there's so much conflict that's surrounding us that we'd rather just go somewhere else and start new. How about this one? We want to leave a church. This church. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They're a bunch of sinners. Man, this and that, and I'll just make my list. You know, I'll take out my file. You know, da-da-da-da-da, like all this stuff's wrong. I'm going to go to another church where they're more loving and more kind and, and whatnot. But what are you doing? You're just, you're just avoiding. You're not making peace. You're faking peace. You don't want to actually address it. Extreme example is leaving, leaving a family or a marriage. Right? Like there's, there's so much conflict. You haven't learned to make peace. So you just leave. You avoid. You escape. And 
this is, this is peace faking. And, you know, the thing about peace faking is it's all about me. Me, me, me. Because it's easier for me. It's more convenient for me. It's less threatening for me. Right, so it's all about me. So, you know, I just want to say one more thing, right? Thing about flight, especially if you have a habit, some, some people have a habit of just kind of withdrawing. Sometimes they just kind of float away from church if they're having conflicts at church. But the thing about flight, thing about running away is that wherever you go, you're going to face the same things again. You got, you got nowhere to go. Because if you're looking for a perfect church, uh, let me tell you something. This is not in the Bible, but, you know, let me tell you something. There's no perfect church. Actually, that is in the Bible, right? Everybody's a sinner, including you. <laughs> so here's the problem. No matter where you go, there's going to be conflicts because guess who's there? You are. And you are a sinner. The Bible says you're a sinner. Oh, that's what the Bible says. And so no matter where you go, you can't run away from conflict unless you go into the woods or unless you lock yourself in your home. You know what I mean? And you're on your computer all day or you're just eating popcorn. And I don't, I don't know where I'm getting these illustrations, right? But you know what I mean? Like unless, see, and some people, they're not connected in relationships. And so they're able to live at an arm's length distance from, from actual meaningful, deep relationships. Everything's shallow. So you might not face conflict, but it's because you don't have any relationships that go beyond like two inches. You know what I mean? Like, and so some of us, oh, please, please don't. Don't do that to yourself, right? You are not created to live at arm's length distance from everybody else on the face of this earth. We're made for relationship. And when there's relationship, conflicts happen. And so sometimes people get burned. We're like, oh, you know, last time I got involved with this kind of person or, th- or church or this happened, I got burned. And so it's not worth it anymore. And you keep people in, in a distance from you. And so you protect yourself from conflict. But you realize even when that happens, you realize there's an emptiness. That's not the fullness for how God designed you to live. See, God designed us for a relationship. So the, root, the solution is not peace faking where you avoid, run away from people, run away from your job, church. It's not to deny, just to push it down, cover it up. Peace faking. But the other side is peace breaking. Okay? So if peace faking is the passive side, peace breaking is the aggressive side. I'm gonna fight you. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's like you just wanna you just wanna attack. You know? So I wanna win. And you get into a conflict and you won't stop because you gotta win that argument, you gotta win that conflict stronger than theirs. And you're able to beat them. This is very aggressive. This is the fight side of there's flight and then there's fight. And and one version of this is uh, what Ken Sandy calls assault. And actually, uh, some people are more ten- uh, have more tendency to do peace faking, avoid. Some people have more tendency to do peace breaking, attack. But some people first avoid, and then when they can't avoid it anymore because the conflict is too much in their face, affecting too many areas of their lives, they don't know how to go to the middle of peacemaking, so they go from peace faking to peace breaking, and then they start attacking. And then they'll go back here to avoiding. And then one is back in their face again, they'll go back to attacking. You know what I mean? There's, so there's, this is a, a pattern sometimes with different people. We have different uh, habits of our hearts, so we incline to one or the other. But this side, right? So the peace breaking. Uh, this, could be, this could be more subtle. It could be like gossip, slander, putting, talking about other people behind their back, out of a bad heart sometimes. You know, putting a spin on things so it makes you look better, but makes look them look a little worse. Oh, I'm not, I'm not lying. I'm just, just putting a little spin on it. You know? Let me tell you what, that's lying. Okay? All right, so, you know, sometimes gossip slander, sometimes when, you know, our, our hearts get really bad, like we want to we hurt them, whether emotionally or, God forbid, financially in their careers, in their profession. You know, we want to hurt their relationship. We just, we just want to hurt them. We want to wound them. The spirit of the peace breaker, the attacker, the aggressive one, is vengeance is mine. <laughs> See, the Bible says, vengeance is mine, declares the Lord. 
But this person says, vengeance is mine, says me. I'm going to take it into my hands. God, I'm not going to trust you to work out this situation. You know, no, I got to take it into my hands because, God, you can't handle this. Let me tell you something. I know what justice looks like in this situation, so I will bring that about. God, I know what I'm doing, says myself. And, yeah, this is, that's what it looks like. It's very aggressive. You know, if it gets worse, it could look like litigation. Taking someone to court. Hey, and you know what? I just want to say this point in passing. But the scripture says a Christian should almost never take another Christian to court. But you know what? I've seen this over and over again in churches. Even between elders and pastors. They're taking one another to court. And how much dishonor that brings to God's church. How non-believers are looking at that, judging that. And their hearts are so turned away. And Apostle Paul says, why not rather be defrauded? Why not rather suffer wrong? Then put such dishonor to God's name. Don't you care about God's name? How are you taking your Christian brother or sister to court? Isn't there someone in the church who's able to resolve these disputes? Like, don't you guys realize? He says you're going to judge angels one day, and you can't judge matters between yourselves. But sadly... When peace breaking gets pretty extreme, litigation, and things get really messy. People take sides, divisions. You know what I mean? Really sad. The church really knows how to do peace faking. Some people really know how to do peace breaking. But today, I want to show us how do you do peacemaking? See, if if peace faking, avoiding, is all about me, what's easy for me, and if peace breaking, the attack, is all about you, you're wrong, you need to give in, then peacemaking is not about me, it's not about you, it's about us, our relationship, our interests, both of us taking responsibility to move towards each other, to reconcile, to forgive. To make peace. And you see, both of the two sides, peace faking, peace breaking, it's K-Y-R-G. No, it's not a radio station. It's kiss your relationship goodbye. You're going to lose the relationship. Right? But see, peacemaking takes a lot of work. It's harder than avoiding. It's harder than attacking. It takes effort. It takes time. It takes, it takes a lot of emotional resources. But in the long run, it glorifies God, brings you peace of mind and a good conscience. It brings better relationships and a maturity that you're able to learn to have harmony and unity with people and with groups. And there's so much good fruit that comes from learning how to do peacemaking. But we need to learn this. All right, you guys want to learn about peacemaking? Okay. You know, I just want to say this before we go into peacemaking, right? Your, your relationship with other people in the church, actually, your relationship with people overall is an indication of your spiritual maturity. If you don't know how to peacemake, but all your relationships are either avoiding or attacking, that's a sign of your spiritual maturity. That, brother, you got to grow. You know what I mean, sister, you got, you got to learn how to forgive and, and overlook and confess your sins. See, to learn how to peacemake, mainly two things. You got to learn how to repent and you got to learn how to forgive. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like the central message of the Bible? Maybe. You got to learn how to repent. I'm a sinner. I repent. And you got to learn how to forgive. Just like God forgives us, we forgive one another. Okay? But actually, there's, a, there's an in-between stuff. Okay? So, first, repent or you confess. Number two, lovingly correct. You got to learn how to do that. Number three, forgive. Okay? So, repent or confess, lovingly correct, and then finally, forgive. 
All right, so this is where we're going to look at the passages uh, we saw today that we read. Okay, actually, even before we even go into Matthew 7, I want to say the first and most frequent way you should learn to do peacemaking is by overlooking. You should probably overlook, I don't want to put a number, but 98% of offenses towards you. You should overlook them. I just made that up. But, you know, I didn't do any statistics or, you know, I didn't read any stats or anything like that. But uh, most of the offenses that come against you, you should overlook it. Proverbs 19.11, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. That means, hey, smart people, wise people, it's their glory. It's, it's a glorious thing if you overlook an offense. Okay? So most of the time, you know, someone says something, they snubbed you. You know, they broke their promise to you. You know what I mean? They, they, they hurt you or let you down, disappointed. Most of the time, you, you, you overlook. Overlook. You should constantly just get in the habit of just overlooking. And, but here's the thing. Right? While most of the time you should overlook, uh, and if by all means, if possible, even if it's hard, if you can overlook it, you should do it. But there comes a time when you can't overlook. Okay. For example, if you're trying to overlook, you're trying to overlook, you're trying to overlook, but you're just, just this bitterness and resentment is like stewing within you. And every time you see that person in church, you stay 20 feet away. There's like, you know, like there's like a distance you keep and you know, you're, it's really cold and all that stuff. Then let me tell you something that you're not really overlooking. Because you're not able to overlook. Okay, so that's one example where you might not overlook. Okay? Another time you might not overlook is if it's dishonoring to God. Person is cheating on his wife and you're the only one that knows. Like, uh, no, 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 you don't, you don't overlook that. That's dishonoring to God. Okay? If a person's cheating in school, uh, you shouldn't really overlook that. Um, if, you know, you, you know, you get the drift, right? Like if, if, pers- if someone's like getting drunk every other weekend and they're a Christian and uh, non-Christians are seeing that, it's dishonoring to God. No, 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 you can't overlook that. All right. Uh, second one, when it damages your relationship with the person. I kind of alluded to this, right? If you're getting all bitter and resentful, if you're not able to forgive and your thoughts towards that person, your feelings, your actions, they're, they're not what they used to be. They're really significantly changed for a, an extended period of time. I'm not talking about like 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to talk to that person for 10 minutes. Oh, I can't overlook. No, 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 no. I'm talking about like extended period of time, right? Okay, days, weeks, months, and, you know, your attitude, you can't, you know, you're, you're holding something you can't forgive, then uh, what's happening is maybe the roots of bitterness. You don't want the roots to go down, so you can't, you can't overlook that. Sometimes even minor things, small things, if it's continual and it's repeated, then it can start to affect your relationship. Person makes a promise, breaks it. Next promise, breaks it again and again and again. You know what I mean? Like every time, and it's wasting your time and wasting your resources. And you know what I mean? Like it's gonna, it's gonna affect. And so, uh, whether big or small, whether it's one time repeated, if if it's something that's affecting your relationship and you can't overlook, right? Then then you can't overlook. Okay. All right. Number three, if it's hurting other people whether it's a really bad temper and it's affecting someone's family or financial irresponsibility or, you know what I mean? Like if it's affecting others and hurting others, whether it's in their family or it's in the church. One big example, division. Division in the church. When, when people are causing division, that affects and hurts people. And you know what? It also sets an example. And the Bible says a little yeast works through the whole dough. That means one person who's being divisive is going to affect the whole church. And you can't allow that because it's hurting so many people. Right? So you can't overlook that. Especially if it's a leader. Right? Especially when a leader has more influence and they affect more people. Okay? So if you see me in some kind of sin that's hurting the church, y'all need to rebuke me. Right? Not not all y'all, but like you know, like like the mature leaders need to rebuke me, right? But you know, you know what I'm saying, okay? 
But you know, one, one, one thing, especially about divisions, right? Because when you, especially gossip, you know, Proverbs says, without wood, a fire goes out. And without gossip, a quarrel goes away. It's like, you know how much gossip brings division in a church? You know, gossip is you're talking about someone else when that person doesn't have to do with the problem or the solution. You know, why, why are you talking to that person? And you're t- saying it out of a bad heart. Maybe it's an envious heart or a grumbling spirit or a vengeful spirit. Whatever it is, you're, that's, that's gossip. And so when you do that, it causes people to take sides. It causes quarrels. And when that happens, it must be addressed. Because hurting the church. Last thing. Hurts the, hurts the person who's in the sin. If it's hurting that person, you need to, you need to talk to them. Because if you keep allowing that to happen, it's going to ruin their lives. I mean, it could be a habit of lying. It could be a temper problem. It could be whatever. So these are times when it's too serious to overlook. But, like I said, 98% of the time, you should try to overlook. But if it dishonors God, damages your relationship, if it's hurting other people, and if it's hurting that person, you need to confront it. Okay? Uh, actually, I would say a couple, you know, one special case is when there's abuse, right, then, you know, you need to take different steps, okay, because it's, it's, there's a threatening environment and context, right, we need to be sensitive to that, but, uh, yeah, so these are times when you wouldn't overlook, right, and actually, we read Matthew 18, and Matthew 18 says, if your brother sins against you, go, you see that word go, go to him, go to your brother, That word go means continual action. It doesn't just mean once. So in order to learn to be a peacemaker, first you've got to have a spirit where you're willing to go kind of tentatively and also repeatedly. What do I mean when I say tentatively? Tentatively means not having made so many judgments already in your mind and like you're going to tell this person off and what they, no, you're tentative like, hey, you know, I've been wondering about this. I've been seeing this in your life. You know what I mean? Like that, that kind of spirit, okay? Not, not too, too strong in the beginning. Because actually a lot of conflict, it's, it's a result of misunderstanding, right? And so if you come on too strong, then you're going to cause increasing conflict where it didn't have to be there. And so you, you go tentative, but also repeated. Because the first time you go, maybe you came off a little strong, or maybe the person was a little defensive. They're not used to people uh, coming, being so direct, and coming to lovingly correct them. You know, maybe they're not ready for it. So you go to them once. You do it in a humble, uh, you know, gracious spirit. And then you give the person some time to think about it. You think, oh, maybe how come what I said didn't get through? Maybe I need to change, talk it over with a leader or someone who's mature, give you some good counsel. And then, and then in time, go, go to that person again. But when you realize that no matter what you do, you realize... You're not going to be able to win that person over, then that's when you know that you got to take the next step. Right? So you go tentatively and repeatedly, and so this is the this is the loving. Uh, no, no. Now we're on to the reconciliation stage, right? You're past overlooking, but now you're seeking to reconcile because you can't overlook it anymore. And the first step in reconciliation is confess. See, Matthew 7, right? Where am I? Matthew 7 said, verse 3, Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye and not notice the log that is in your own eye? See, Matthew 7 comes before Matthew 18. A lot of us, we want to go to Matthew 18. Oh, my brother sinned against me, my sister sinned against me. The Bible says, go! Tell that person what they did wrong. Actually, Matthew 7 comes first, which says, hey, before you go to take the speck, that little tiny speck in their eye, how, why about you take out that huge log in your own eye, you know what I mean? Take that big fat log out of your big fat head, you know what I mean? Like before you go to that person, right? Because there's something wrong with you. You actually contribute to your conflicts. See, our sinful tendency, because we're so full of pride, that we think, oh, it's mostly the other person's fault. But Jesus says, no, look at yourself first. And we need to learn this. 
If we would learn this, if Christians would learn this, we always want to play the victim. That person wronged me. That person hurt me. That person's thinking, that person wronged me. Surprise, surprise, you're not able to make peace very well in the church. Right? So first, we need to look at ourselves. Even if you think the other person is more to blame, even if you think you're 40% wrong and that person's 60%, no, 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 don't start with the 60% they're wrong. Start with the 40% that you're wrong. And this is hard. I know this principle. I remember it. And I go into conflicts, and I, I, I'm like, okay, but, and then I t- automatically learn to turn to the other person's 60. You know, so this is a difficult thing, right? But look at what you did. So, you know, one way you could have contributed to the conflict is with your tongue. I'm not talking about, like, your tongue. I'm talking about the words you speak, right? So, you know, Proverbs 12, 18 says, reckless words, rash words, pierce like a sword but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Sometimes it's just reckless words. Anybody reckless with your words? You, you speak before you think, so you just say a lot of things and you end up hurting a lot of people. It's like just like a spray and you don't care and you, know, you just got to go say sorry to like every other person you talk to. Anybody like that? I used to be like that. Praise the Lord. I don't do this as much anymore, right? Sometimes I do, but reckless words, okay? How about grumbling, complaining? This, this irritates and discourages people. This affects people. How about falsehood? I addressed this before, right? Distorting the truth. Telling lies about people. Sometimes outright lies. Sometimes shading. Right? Only highlighting the things that make that person look bad. But leaving out the stuff that makes you look bad. Oh, tell me the story. What happened? Well, you see, that person did this. Well, I, I contributed like a little bit. You know, I just, but that's, that's lying. Gossip, we talked about that. So all these ways. Man, all my pages are out of order. Okay, right? So it could be through the use of your tongue. Sometimes you contribute by breaking your word, failing to keep your promises. Sometimes it's by wanting to control the other person, wanting your way. And so you become unyielding uncompromising, and you're, that's how you're contributing to the conflict. Sometimes it's failing to respect authority. This is not a sermon on submission to authority, but the Bible says over and over again, God has established every legitimate authority in the world, whether it's husbands in the family, whether it's leaders in the church, whether it's bosses at work, whether it's civil government and government leaders, whether elected or, you know, like by succession or whatever. All these Authorities have been established by God, and so we are called to submit to legitimate authority. Sometimes it's abuse of authority, okay, but you know, even still, those who are following are called to submit and to follow authority, right? So sometimes failing to submit and respect authority leads to conflict. This is very unpopular in our day because, let me tell you what, if you grew up in the West, you, your mindset is so individualistic, like you can, you can decide everything for your own life. No one has any say into your life. This is not a sermon on submission to authorities. I'm going to be brief. Okay? But you get, to, you get to choose what career you want to do. You get to choose your lifestyle. You get to choose anything. There's so many options out there. And for anyone to bring their authority, we just chafe at that. But this is a biblical thing. I can't talk anymore about this. Okay, so... Uh, Look at yourself. How, how have you contributed to the conflict? Don't look at the other person first. Look at yourself. People learn this. And so, you know, if God, if God teaches you, if he opens your eyes to see like, oh, man, I'm a sinner too. Not just the other, other person. I contributed to this conflict. If he opens your eyes to see that, that's God's grace. Okay? And, and then... Next thing you do is you go to that person and you confess what you did, right? And Ken Sandy talks about seven A's of confession. I'm going to go through this real quick. Okay. Man, I wish I could spend more time with you. All right. Seven A's of confession. This is how you, do, this is how you confess. Number one, A, address everyone involved, everybody that you affected, right? And so, for example, a leader who sins affects more people. But, you know, if, you're, if it was just one-on-one, then you just 
just that one person. And let me, let me make a little difference between a heart sin and, a, and an actual real social sin. Like, if you're just sinning in your heart, you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're, you're just, you know, you're, you're grumbling, but it's, you don't need to confess that to that person, okay? Okay, like, you know, I remember this, I remember this, uh, this is funny, this guy, like, was, like, lusting over this girl, but just in his heart, and then he went to that girl, and he was like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry, you know, I just want to confess, like, dude, don't do that, okay? That's really awkward, all right? That's really weird, all right? Just confess to God by yourself. You, you didn't affect everyone. Okay, so address the people involved. Okay, number one, A. Number two, avoid if, but, and maybe. Avoid that because that nullifies the confession. You say, I'm sorry if I offended you. I'm sorry if I hurt you. Now, professional athletes, they, you know, they, they make apologies, right? Because they did something wrong. It's like, hey, you know, I'm sorry if what I did offended you guys. It's like, no, you're not. You're just looking out for your image. See? When we, when we add if, but, or maybe, and the worst is but. I'm sorry, but what you did to me really, really made me upset. It's like, it's like wait, are you, are you confessing? Or is this my fault? Wait, what? You mean? Like, you know, man, I, I shouldn't have done that. But you, if, but, or maybe. Okay? Basically, when you say this, when you add those, basically you're saying, you know, it's, it's, it's bothering me. And so, here, I'm sorry. Please just stop bothering me. And you know what? I don't want to do it again because I don't know what I did. But I'm sorry, so stop bothering me. That's, that's like what you're doing. Oh, I'm sorry if I upset you. Basically, that's what you're saying. And, and you want the person to forgive you and you want to make peace? Why can't, why can't we make peace? You've got, you got to learn how to confess. It specifically. It's like, hey, hey, brother, you've you got to forgive me. Uh, for what, Pastor Paul? You know, I was just like being wrong. You know what I mean? Like, just, I was just wrong. It's like, uh, no, that's not, that's not a confession. You know, I've been, I've been holding bitterness towards you, and it's been coming out in my words, especially when I disrespected you the other day in front of other people. You know, so, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry for that. Please forgive me. That's, you're being specific, right? And when you're specific, it opens the heart of the person you're confessing to more. It softens their heart, and you're better able to make peace. Right? No, none of this generic, right, generic, you know, I'm sorry for hurting you. Yeah, that's, that's very generic. I treated you harshly. I said things behind your back. You got to identify these things. Okay? Specific sins. All right, number four. Man, I got to move. All right. A. Oh, man, I'm skipping a lot of good stuff, but it's all good. All right, number four. A. Acknowledge the hurt. You hurt the other person. Acknowledge it. Let me tell you something. I'm, as a guy... I was not very good at this. I only grew up with one brother, and, like, there was no talk about feelings. It's like, hey, bro, I'm, I'm sorry if I hurt your, uh, hurt your feelings when I said that. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't grow up doing that, right? So we get married. Okay, I, I'm sorry. Uh, just use an illustration from a marriage. I realized, like, she really cares that I understand how she feels. And, and she's like, do you understand how I feel? Uh, I guess you feel bad. It's like, no, honey, and there's more, you know? And I was like, oh, there's more than just bad <laughs> and sad. There's more feelings than just these two. It's like, wow, like, please teach me your wisdom. It's like, oh, sometimes I'm feeling hurt. Oh, you can feel hurt. I'm disappointed. Oh, you're, oh, I'm sorry I've made you, I'm sorry I disappointed you, right? Like, you know, you got you to gotta acknowledge how the other person felt, Okay. And, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't know more emotions than just two, just come talk to me, right? I've been learning for many years, okay? But you got to acknowledge the hurt, right? And this is important. Especially, see, each, each step, you're opening the other person's heart. Now you're acknowledging, like, hey, I'm sorry I hurt you when I said those words in front of these other people, right? And, you know, that must have hurt, right? And I'm really sorry about that. You acknowledge that. Okay, sometimes they're a little reluctant to say that they've been hurt. And so you could ask them, hey, uh, you know, when I did that, did, how did you feel? You know, how did you feel? How did that make you feel? And that might open someone's heart to share how they felt hurt or how they were felt embarrassed or, or whatever. And you're, you're establishing more connection, more reconciliation, right, to make peace. Number five, accept the consequences. If you did something wrong, if you, if you damaged someone's property, you, you pay for it. Right? You, you make restitution. Okay, if you gossiped about someone and you told 15 people 
false news about this person, you call every single one of those people and you tell them, hey, what I said about that person was not true. You're like, Pastor Paul, that's ridiculous. So I, got, I would have to go call like a thousand people in my life. No, no, no. You think that's not realistic. But hey, seriously, the Bible, Bible cares about this stuff. God cares about this stuff, right? You got to accept the consequences. You got to make that restitution. Okay? I might preach a sermon on this at another time. But anyways, accept the consequences. Number six, alter your behavior. You got to change. If you say you're sorry, and then the very next day you do it again, and the next day you do it again, it's like, it's hard to, it's hard for that person to really believe that you're sorry and for them to forgive you because you're doing it again. You know what I'm saying? That's not like, Rocket science, right? That's like kindergarten level. Okay, just change your behavior. Sometimes you can ask the person, hey, you know, I wronged you. Uh, do you have any suggestions for how I can change? You know, what can I do differently? Right? Just, just ask the person. And uh, you know, I just want to interject. I just want to say this in the middle. Your spirit matters. It's not just the words you say. It's the spirit in which you come. Right? You can say all the right words, but if your spirit is haughty and proud and looking down and all this stuff, then it's not going to work. Your, your spirit's got to be humble, gracious, right? charitable. All right, but that's the sixth A. Seventh A, ask for forgiveness. Will you forgive me? Yes? Sometimes they'll forgive you, especially if you do it in a good spirit, right? You're seeking to make peace, but sometimes people need time. You can't demand, hey, I went through the steps, the seven A's of confession. Here's my list. You know, like, you got to forgive me now. now. No, no, no. Sometimes you got to give them time, right? Some people need time, especially if the hurt goes deeper, right? Or especially if it's been repeated and they need to see some change. You know, you just need to wait. And so in the meantime, you say, hey, you know, like, I I really hope you can forgive me. I'm really sorry for what I did. I really want to be reconciled. But in the meantime, I'm going to be praying for you and our relationship, and I'm going to change, and... You know, I hope with time we can, we can find full reconciliation. You see, the Bible, uh, Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone, if at all possible. See, you've done your part once you go to confess. Right? As far as it depends on you. And give the person time. Sometimes it could be because your confession wasn't really that good. A lot of buts and ifs in there. You know what I mean? Maybe you're not acknowledging how they felt. Maybe you're not being specific. So, Maybe there's room for you to go again and confess. Hey, actually, uh, I realize I'm really realizing more and more of what I did. And you go again. All right? So the seven A's. Okay, I'm not going to repeat them because I need to move on. All right? So, so that's, that's confession. Number two, loving correction. Oh, I'm, I'm going to go mad quick on this. All right. So, loving correction. This is Matthew 18. It says, go to that person. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Okay? So, you and him alone. Just the two of you. Don't don't invite other people. Don't make it bigger than it needs to be. Right? But you go, and you need to do three things. Number one, you need to be hopeful. Number two, you need to listen. And then number three, you need to speak. So first, uh, be hopeful, right? Actually, I'm out of order. My fault. You confessed. Okay. Sometimes that other person will confess in return because they've been disarmed by your amazingly humble and gracious and beautiful apology and confession. You know what I mean? And it happens sometimes. Right? And that's, that's, that's the best way. But sometimes they won't because okay, uh, they need time or you know, they say, okay, I forgive you. And you're just like, okay, I just confessed my 40%. Uh, where's this, you know, 60%? And are you going to, like, like, oh, how about you? Your turn. You know, like, don't do that. Okay? Because if you do that, that person's going to think, like, wait, wait, wait. Were you just confessing your sin so that you could get, point out my sin? You know what I mean? They're going to think your whole thing was an act. You know, so you, you need wisdom. Right? You need biblical wisdom. Okay? So how do you, how do, you do, what do you do then? Sometimes you just need to overlook it. You realize at this point, you've been dealing with that, and you realize, you know what? I can't overlook this. You overlook. Sometimes you can't overlook, so what do you do? Maybe they gave a superficial confession. Maybe they're like, 
oh, yeah, I guess I guess I, I did some stuff wrong, too. I'm sorry, too. It's like, uh, no, no, that's not enough. So you, maybe you can build on their superficial confession. It's like, hey, you know, I appreciate that you're acknowledging wrong. Um, you know, what do you think it is specifically that you did wrong? Oh, like, how do you think you affected me? You know what I mean? Like, and then you build on that. Okay? Uh, Sometimes the conflict's so serious, what they're doing is so bad that you need to address it right now because it's affecting them, it's affecting other people, whatever. So, yeah, you need to talk about it now. And, you know, you might say, you, you don't want to be all clumsy about it, right? But you want to be wise and you want to be like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry that, uh, you know, for how I contributed to this conflict, for the things I said, you know, for my uh, breaking my promises. But, you know, in the same way, I feel like you also had some contributions to this conflict. Do you mind if I share what some of those might be? Right? That, that sounds really easy when I say it and reading off a paper, but it's harder in person, right? But you, so that's why sometimes you need to think ahead of time. You need to plan. Okay? But, you know, sometimes you need to talk about it there. Other times you realize, hey, you, you're discerning the person's spirit. You confront them now. It's not going to turn out well. Maybe you'll just save it for another time. Okay? But if you decide to uh, confront them at that point, three things, right? First, be hopeful. Be hopeful. Like, go to them in a spirit of hope and say, hey, you know, like, these are the things that I feel like you con- contributed to the conflict. But, you know, like, have a spirit. Like, I, I, I believe the best in you. I hope you can change. I believe in the power of the spirit and the power of God, God's truth. And you don't have to say all that stuff all the time, right? But that kind of spirit, okay, instead of just condemning. Yeah, let, me, let me point out, you know, just like shooting at each and everything, right? So be, be hopeful. Number two, listen well. And it's good to listen well uh, before you speak. And uh, to listen well, you need to, first of all, you need to actually listen and not speak. Some of us, we can listen for like five seconds and then we, we need to say something. Yeah, so we don't know how to listen. And so don't interrupt don't finish what you think they're going to say because most of the time you might not actually say what they're going to say and then you're going to make things all awkward. And, you know what I mean? Don't jump to conclusions. But if you learn to listen, you're going to be able to get at more of the roots of the conflict and be, uh, be better able to make peace. And not only listen for the content of what they're saying, but the heart behind it, the feelings. Right? Listen for the hurt. Listen for the offense. Listen for you know, all that stuff. Okay, all right. All right, and then lastly, you need to speak. I skipped a lot of stuff. It's all good. All right, and lastly, you need to speak, right? And, um, you know, a couple, couple tips about speaking. It's your spirit that matters. Okay. Before you go to that person, if you're still bitter and you can't forgive that person in your heart before the Lord, then probably you're not ready to actually talk to that person yet because you're going to come off all clumsy, and awkward and condemning and, and bitter and whatever. And so you need to forgive them first. And let me tell you this. Forgiveness is not first a feeling. It's an act of the will. You can decide to forgive someone before you actually feel it. Forgiveness means letting that person, releasing their debt, what they owe you. Right? You think they owe you, they owe, they deserve to be punished, to suffer the consequences. They deserve justice. But you release that and you forgive them in your heart before you go. You want to go in a spirit of humility. Not like you're above them, but like you're a fellow sinner and you're next to them. In a spirit of love. Seeking their good. Seeking to restore the relationship. Seeking to glorify God. This is the kind of spirit you want to go. You also want to choose the right time and place. If there's like, if you're surrounded and it's noisy and you're trying to have a really significant peacemaking conversation, probably you should wait for a better time, a better place. You're like, hey, uh, you mind if we can get coffee? You know, you mind if we can get lunch? You mind if we could talk, you know what I mean, after CG or whatever? You know what I mean, find, find a private place, find a good right time and place. Excuse me. Uh, if they're tired, if they're really stressed, and a lot of things are on their mind, probably you don't want to deal with heavy stuff. At that time, right? It's just a little wisdom. Okay. You guys know this. Um, also, uh, another practical tip, use I instead of you. Don't say, hey, you are so insensitive. 
You are so irresponsible. You, you, you. No, instead say, I. And tell the person how they affected you. You see, I felt hurt when you talked about me and made fun of me in front of all those people. Because that made me feel stupid, made me feel foolish. And so as a result, I'm really reluctant to go out with you in public. You know, when there's other people. So talk about yourself, right? I feel frustrated when you break your promises. Because that made me feel unimportant. Whatever, right? So talk about yourself. Use I statements. And this, this is going to help the person understand how you feel. It's going to soften their heart as well. Right? So we need, we need a lot of this wisdom, okay? Um, don't use words like always, never, nobody, because that's not true. Okay? They may do it a lot, but be objective. Okay? Don't, don't spin. Don't exaggerate. And you know, these, are some of the, these are some of the tips right? about how to speak. But you need to go to that person in the right spirit. And, man, when this is done well, you know, some people, they're going to try to, like, avoid this part because you're coming at them in a spirit of love, but you're coming at them. And so they're going to try to, like, brush it off, like, oh, come on, are you serious? You know, like, oh, come on, just that's in the past. Are you, like, did it, like, are you really, like, you know, making a fuss over that? And, and you know, how do you, you got to keep going back to it. You got to say, no, no, seriously, no, this affects me. This is how you're affecting. This is how you're making me feel. And you know what? Like, it's not just me. Other people, they don't want to be around you because you're like this. And I really feel like I need to tell you this. You see, like, you're, you're saying it in a loving spirit, but you're, you're also being firm. Right? So you, we need to learn to do this. Okay? All right, last part. All right, I'm, I'm going to wrap up with this. I'm going I'm to do this in two minutes. Okay, so this is the one-on-one, right? You go to him alone. But the Bible says here, Matthew 18... If he doesn't listen, take one or two others with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And so take a couple uh, unbiased, impartial, mature uh, people along with you. Okay? Sometimes you could ask them, hey, I, I feel like one-on-one, we're not able to resolve this. Do you mind if I bring uh, Pastor Paul and uh, you know, Pastor Diddy along and maybe uh, they can help listen to both sides? Help us sort through what are the issues, uh, what we're not really realizing, and help us to resolve this conflict. Do you, do you think I could do that? You know, that's, that, that could be a good thing. Right? Don't just, like, knock on their door with, like, two of your homeboys. You know what I mean? Like, they're, like, big and strong and be like, hey, I'm bringing two more people. You know, the Bible, yeah, don't do that, right? That's not what it's talking about, okay? So uh, a couple of wise people. If, if, there's still no, if there's still no resolution, you got to tell it to the church. This, this is not talking about, like, stand up in the middle of service and be like, Alex Quat, you know, the other day. No, no, you don't do that, right? I'm sorry, Alex. But, no, no, you tell it to the church leaders, and then they need to deal with it. And if there's if sin that's still really poisonous, and there's no repentance, no conflict resolution, then let him be to you as a non-believer. Like a tax collector and a Gentile. That means kick that person out of the church. Treat them like they're a non-believer, because they're so unrepentant in their spirit. You know what I mean? But, that's, but these things need to be done with care. Okay, I can't go too deep into it. I wanted, I wanted to give a kind of a full scope view. Right? How do you deal with conflict? Bibl- biblical wisdom for conflict. Let me tell you, if you learn this, it takes work. You're not going to learn it the next conflict you do. It's, it's going to take months to grow. It's going to take years to grow a lot in this. But as you do, man, the church is going to be more unified. Your personal relationship are going to be so much richer, more satisfying. You're going to go deeper. Conflicts are going to come. You're going to be able to overlook a lot. And even when there is issues, you're going to be able to work through it. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's a rich life. That's a rich life. And so I'm, I'm desiring for all of us to learn this. And for us to be a church that can practice peacemaking. So what... So where do we get the power to do this? Where do we get the power not to avoid or not to attack, but to actually address and make peace? If you're a Christian, you have amazing resources. Because the Bible says through the, through the gospel, when Christ died on that cross, that means 
He died on the cross for your sins. That means you're a sinner, and there's a lot of things wrong with you. A lot of things you don't even see about yourself. But also on that cross, because he died, it means God loves you, even to the death. So no matter what's wrong with you, no matter how deep the sin, God still loves you. Completely. You're fully accepted. And so if you, if you grasp that, if you understand you're a sinner, and yet you're so deeply loved, then you can confess your sins to other people. You don't have to be so defensive and proud. And also, you can more easily forgive people because you're like, if God forgave me, a wretched sinner who's done so many things wrong, how can I not forgive my brother and sister? Through understanding the gospel, going deeper in the gospel, we're going to get the power to learn how to make peace. All right, all right, let's pray.